Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hey everyone, great to be with you again. Uh, how great was last week's session with Dr. Robbie Sondrega? Such absolute gold in there. I would encourage you to not just be a part of it once, but go back, visit it again until some of the concepts in there start really finding the expression that your family needs. But here again, with us again, Dr. Robbie Sondrega. So great to have you here, Dr. Robbie. Thank you for joining Metro Church Online. Here we are. I can't believe I'm back for more. Like, this is, this is fantastic. Round two. Rack speaking, of, speaking of round two, I'm pretty excited about this. Because when I look back over the premarital counselling that I got, uh, the introduction to married life, nobody ever mentioned how to deal with conflict at all, apart from, you know, it's kind of like getting married is a bit like it's all beautiful, Prince Charming and whatever the princess is, uh, and off you go and everything's going to be great. And yet for almost everybody I've ever met, they eventually find some part of their life that's not great. And we are not taught anything at all about how to handle conflict. Even worse, in my opinion, is we're not taught how to create the right kind of conflict, how to address issues apart from, you know, if you're from the Latin side of the planet, you let it all out. (laughs) And if you're from the Anglo-Saxon side of the planet, we bury it and pretend it never happened. So, Dr. Robbie, you are going to change our lives and all of our relationships and our family life here at Metro Church Online by telling us how to fight right. Off you go. Round one. Round one. Ding, 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 ding. The thing that we need to understand and embrace is that there will be conflict Uh-oh. in any relationship. It doesn't matter what it is. And and it doesn't have to be severe conflict. Uh, we're not talking, you know, the extreme end, although, you know, that does occur from time to time. But there will be disagreements. There will be misunderstandings. There will be uh, times where you're not feeling well within your body. And as a result, your nerves are a little bit on edge. You're a little mm. bit more susceptible to being frustrated or annoyed uh, by a person's idiosyncrasies or whatever it might be. And as a result, we might say the wrong thing at the wrong time, which gets a reaction. And what we've acknowledged through actually the National Institute of Marriage is that everyone has core fears. Um, it could be a whole host of different things, but whenever somebody presses or triggers my core fear, I elicit a core fear reaction or I offer a core fear reaction to the person. And all too often that core fear reaction presses the other person's core fears and then they give me a core fear reaction and we end up doing a core fear dance. We exchange blows, not necessarily physical ones, but verbal ones uh, towards each other as we go around and around the merry-go-round, but we don't make any progress because no one has taught us how to fight right. So there will be conflict, but how do we engage the conflicts that ends up enhancing our marriage? Because iron sharpens iron. When iron sharpens iron, that concept is two swords clinging against Mm. each other. But how can you actually, instead of causing harm, actually serve to sharpen one another's resolve towards each other's love? Round two then. Okay. Because most of us have grown up with models of conflict creation and resolution 
that fit at the extremes. Either mum and dad are going at it again, or one of them just, or both, never talk about it. And there's no model for people to follow. So assume you're speaking to both those groups. How do we start the middle ground? How do we get that round two? I love that you started out with conflict resolution. And it's often said that we talk about conflict without using conflict's second name, which is, of course, resolution. You want to bring about um, some kind of reparation or resolve a solution to the concern or the problem or the disagreement that you have. Make a decision as to how you're going to move forward. But let's be honest and recognize that sometimes that's not always possible. Mm -hmm. In fact, according to research, the majority of the things that we are arguing about don't actually have a resolution because they're so meaningless, they're so trivial, um, they're so pointless that it's just that I'm annoyed and I'm just being extra sensitive and then I've stepped on your toes and now people's emotions got bent out of shape and now we're just going at each other uh, instead of actually, oh, there's actually a problem that we need to resolve? No, there's actually no problem. It's just that we're not being nice. <laughs> and so, so that's one way. But the other is that sometimes we have such great problems that where the, the differences are irreconcilable. And, in fact, the number one reason cited for getting divorced is we have irreconcilable differences, which I just want to state from the outset is probably the most lame excuse to use for getting divorced. Because according to research, more than 60% of married couples have differences that are irreconcilable and yet have still great marriages. So irreconcilable differences is not a reason for getting divorced. It just means that you haven't learned how to fight right in terms of we don't necessarily need to resolve it, but we do need to learn how to love each other, how to embrace each other, how to come to terms with each other, accept each other, and be unconditionally in our, in our positive regard uh, towards them all the same. Round three, a difference, whether it's historic as in it's repetitive and, you know, there she goes or he goes again, uh, occurs. And usually there's a few key phrases that I've observed that are the death knell, if you like, or they're the killer blows that if you come out with them, we can almost guarantee the conflict's going to escalate. Things yeah. like, you always. <laughs> Things <laughs> like, look, it's the principle. Or the other one, but they just shouldn't be allowed to get away with it. Are there any others like that that we really need to, if they start playing in our head, we need to go, hold on a second here, I'm setting myself up to fail. It's like walking out into the middle of the ring and, you know, with your eyes shut, you're going to get hammered. You shouldn't do it. <laughs> So there's a couple of things to pay attention to in that uh, and, and recognizing that some of those statements are actually okay to make, but others are absolutely not okay to make. Mm -hmm. And the guide is actually what um, Dr. John Gottman refers to. Now, Dr. John uh -huh. Gottman, he's probably the world's leading yes. uh, researcher, not necessarily the love doctor or the guru, <laughs> you know, but he's a researcher. So he's done more science on, on marriage than mm -hmm. pretty much anyone else on the planet. And what he's, he's observed is he, he refers to them as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah, I've heard that, in yeah. the, See, we're getting biblical already. Um, so, so these four horsemen are four things that you do which will pretty much uh, ensure the onset of the end of your marriage if you, so if you, in terms of apocalypse. And these four are criticism, where we start constantly nagging, 
nitpicking, pointing out the other person's faults, usually as it relates to their behavior. Uh, secondly, if somebody's doing that to you, well, you're likely to get defensive and defensiveness is the second horseman of the apocalypse where we either, um, don't take responsibility and we just, well, that's not you. What about what you're talking about me? What about you? And so we just like get defensive or we're defensive in terms of, yes, I know, but I didn't have the same upbringing that you had. And now we're, we take on the victim mentality in our uh, defensiveness. But once again, not taking responsibility in terms of our growth and what can I do about it. It. Thirdly, is typically when criticism mutates and becomes contemptuous. So the third one is contempt, which is where I'm no longer pointing out what behaviors that you are doing that I find annoying or disruptive or or I don't like um, or that they're dysfunctional, but rather you are dysfunctional. So I'm making an identity statement. You are defective. You are just like your mother. You are. (laughs) So I start Uh making. (laughs) I think you skipped around eight right there. (laughs) So these holistic claims now are a personal attack. And this is where I would largely start exaggerating. You always do this. You never do this. Um, But of course, the person who is defensive will be the nitpicker now and say, that's not true. At least last Tuesday, I didn't do this. And and now we're, you know, back on, on, on the fighting ring. But eventually an argument or conflict gets so overwhelming that I, I, I'm exhausted by this. I don't know what to do about it anymore. So you know what? I give up. I quit. And I just shut down and we call this stonewalling. So this is where I can be having a conversation with my spouse and say, so what have you got to say about that? And there's crickets. There's no response. The person is just reading their newspaper and they're not tuning in to anything I've got to say anymore because, and, and let's just point out that what the research shows, 80% of stonewallers are men. And to the men's defense, they're thinking to themselves, anything that I say is only going to make matters worse. And so if I just shut up, like, like, like then, then it's surely going to go away because I'm not, I know she's talking at me, not to me, but she's talking at me. I mean, how much longer can she go on for, right? She's got to end soon. Oh, no, no, no. She can go on for so much longer. And so is Nolan, this- is Nolan listening to this? Because if she's not, there better be a female counterpart to this somewhere or other. I'm telling <laughs> but the thing is that stonewalling is so destructive for marriage that if you have stonewalling in your relationship and it doesn't get resolved, divorce is the likely outcome with more than 90% accuracy. Wow. Um, one of the scriptures that probably, well, there's several of them that I think have a lot to say about conflict generally, and they talk about the posture th- are, are entering into conflict. You'll like a, you which are spiritual, restore such a one to spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. Earnestly entreat an elder. There are things like that that suggest to me that it's our posture going into a conflict that often determines the outcome rather than the ammunition that I'm bringing to it. So rather than the facts and you did and she did and he did and whatever, but it's actually how I come into it uh, that matters a lot. Probably the one scripture that has helped me the most in my leadership life is in Proverbs 13.10. It says, by pride only comes contention. And I remember reading that and thinking, okay, so if I take pride out of the equation, contention is going to have less opportunity to get in play. What do we do, Dr. Robbie, when there's an issue we need to address 
but we're pretty stirred up and we're ready to, we've got the grenades, we got everything, man. We got the bazooka. This is the day my argument is going to level this. What do we do? Well, the important thing, there's a few things to understand. And, and the first is that when we are engaging any kind of conflict, if I walk away with a win, but the other person loses, because we are two who have become one, especially in marriage, uh, if one loses, both lose. Wow. And, so, and so we need to go for a win-win solution. So if you are coming in guns blazing, this is the day um, you are going down because I've got the ammunition on my side where you're actually taking yourself down at the same time. Wow. Look, both science and scripture um, say the same thing when it comes to conflict. The process of fighting is more important than the topic of what we're fighting about. So the manner in which we engage. So if you think of James chapter one verse nineteen, be quick to listen, be slow to anger, be be quick to uh, was it be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and slow to anger. That concept is actually a pathway, a model, if you will, that we can uh, follow. Okay, so uh, if I'm going to be slow to speak, I should actually let them talk, and and if I'm going to listen, let me not just listen in terms of what we classify in psychology as effective listening, but couples or anyone for that matter, and especially parents of kids or, or colleagues in, at work, would, be, would be, be wise to engage not just effective listening, but affective listening. There's a slight difference between the two. Mm -hmm. Effective listening is, I understood the information that you shared. Whereas affective listening, affect speaks of emotion. I am listening to the feeling behind the thought because if I can identify the feeling, this is the drive that's giving you the, the, the power for your argument, the impetus, if you will, to keep on fighting. So if I can understand where this is coming from, the emotion, the place of emotion, oh, so you're feeling anxious or you know, know that you can trust or that you're feeling frustrated or upset. If I can identify what the feeling is, I can resolve the issue. I'm just imagining someone going through all this and the other, the spouse going, don't you try that Dr. Robbie stuff on me. <laughs> it's actually the opposite. You know what? Whenever we do conflict resolution skills training, um, all too often the person thinks, oh, I wish this person wasn't here to listen <laughs> because then they now know my tricks. But it's actually not true. As soon as you engage the process of, of uh, act, act, actively effective list, affective listening, um, it, it, it sounds like this. So help me to understand why is it that you feel so strongly about this? And we give them to them, you know, both, gar both, both barrels of the gun, boom and boom, let me let you know why I feel this way. And then instead of reacting or responding to it, an effective listener who's engaging in James chapter 1 verse 19 says, okay, so if I've understood you correctly, what you're saying is that you feel like this. Now, is that right? And when we actually paraphrase what it is and validate what they're saying, we don't have to agree with them. But in the process, what we're doing is we're saying, what you are saying to me is clearly very important to you. Can you talk for a minute? Because I think three or four times in the last minute or two, you've used the word process, which says to me that conflict for most people, conflict resolution looks like this. I'm going to talk about it. We're going to neatly pack it up. We're going to put it away somewhere or other and never talk about it ever again. When what you seem to be saying is that addressing issues, raising them, going on that journey 
It's actually more about the growth of our relationship, whether it be parent-child, whether it be spouses, or whoever it is, that it's a part of something ongoing rather than this lightning bolt minute where, oh, thank God, we never have to talk about that ever again. Yes, it's that uh, balance, the fine line between being right and then doing what is right. Um, winning the argument mm-hmm. versus maintaining the intimacy because we have to ask ourselves, what does a win actually look like? Mm-hmm. Because if I win the argument, but I lose the intimacy in the relationship as a, as a result, that's, that's not a win. That's an absolute loss. Mm-hmm. And so the process that we're referring to is how do I actually talk to this person in a way that they are going to feel validated, that the intimacy is going to be maintained along the way? I don't want to fight at the expense of my intimacy. Wow. That to me is the win. See, that, that even there, what you've just said, uh, the underscoring of I'm committed to you, not the win. So I'm, I'm in this for the long haul, no matter how this moment goes, I'm going to continue loving you, being committed to you, regardless, which is the grace of God, isn't it? I mean, the grace of God is God loves us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, it says in Romans. And that love of God that goes, you know what? I mean, the, probably the best pictures of the father waiting for the prodigal son to come home and the son comes home expecting to be judged and yet he gets grace and love and restoration. And how important is that kind of a, uh, I'm not trying to be airy-fairy about it here, but I just think it's so important that our language in a conflict says, you know what, this does not mean I shut a door on you. Our relationship continues. I just want to talk about this. Well, let me share with you, um, rather than from a husband and wife, from, from more of a, a parent-child perspective, um, the reason why we typically as parents have conflict um, with our kids is, is when we're bringing correction, that they're out of line in some way and, and we're frustrated by it and we want to bring it into the right way. And so that's the practical result. But I don't want to pursue that result at the expense of the heart connection that I have with my child because the, the Bible even warns me, hey, fathers especially, don't exacerbate your kids. Like don't drive them to the point where they're just like, I don't want to listen to this man anymore and now I'm out. Because in Australia, some statistics suggest that less than 10% of adult men in this nation have deep and sustaining relationships with their father. And in other words, something went wrong somewhere along the way. And that is critically damaging to society at large. And so I want to maintain this heart-to-heart connection. And so at the end of every conversation, if a correction has been brought, I... I always get my kids to say something to me, which might sound a little bit toxic. This is where, you know, all the mums and dads are going to go, what? Really? Get out of here. I get my kids to say, not sorry, but thank you. Thank you for correcting me and helping me to be better. So in communicating that, they're articulating, this is the reason why we're having this intense discussion right now. My goal is for you to be better, not to just attack you, not to go after you. So this is the deal. I, when I'm in any conflict, have to understand 
The other person is not the problem. My fight is not with them. Uh, my battle is against principalities and powers. A principality is like a, a rulership state of dominion with authority. And so I'm going to tear down the arguments, not tear down the person. I'm going to make sure that we are resolving the problem, which is like an inanimate object that we both get to look at it from the same angle and from a different angle. And we're going to resolve this problem. I'm not going to resolve you. I'm not changing you. I'm resolving the problem. That's the thing I have to keep in mind when I'm arguing. Uh, let me throw you one of the difficult ones because I can imagine somebody saying, well, that's all great, but my partner, my spouse, my child, my parent, they totally don't want to have, it's just a no-go zone. What do I do when the other person doesn't want to engage? Two things. Go for a walk. Um, so what we know from from um, biological studies that if, if if you've had these discussions and they've just got to a place where no fruit ever comes of it, and if there is fruit, there's bad fruit, and so I don't want to engage in the conversation. I'm out. Don't even talk to me. I'm, I'm, I'm going, okay, but let's just go for a walk. And it's when we're walking and we're exercising, our bodies are releasing endorphins, natural chemical-based hormones that make us feel good, and it's hard to feel bad when you feel so good. And so you can actually start the dialogue and have a much better outcome as a result of discussing it while walking or while exercising. So that's one. And the second is, especially as it relates to kids, to tap into their mind at a time where their brain is producing the right electrical activity. So rather than the fired up electrical activity of the beta wave patterns, which is our awake and alert state, we want to have discussions, difficult discussions with them um, when they're in their alpha brainwave state. And that's typically right after they've gone to bed. So if they've gone to bed and their lights are out and you've walked into their room five, 10 minutes after while they're still awake and you sit on the edge of their bed and you just say to them something along the lines of, hey, can I ask you a question? Can I, can I just, I just want to ask you for your advice. And the kid is like, sorry, you're asking, you're asking me for advice. Like this never happens. Like, hello, you're the almighty parent always <laughs> telling me off. And, and so now that you're like, yeah, you know, I just, I, I don't know. I've tried everything. And so I thought maybe I should ask you, maybe you've got better insight. You know how, and then pick the problem. You know how I've asked you like 18 million times to take your shoes off before you've come into the house. And yet seemingly you're always transferring mud into the house. I just want to ask you, what do you think that I could do better that would actually encourage you to take your shoes off because everything that I've tried hasn't worked. And so I want to ask for your advice. And because you're doing it at that particular time when their brain is in alpha, which means it's alert, but it's virtually impossible to experience negative or hostile emotions when you're in an alpha dominant brainwave state the child is likely to give you some really good ideas. Well, mom, if you just ask me nicely, or dad, if you just do it like this, then well, all right, let me take your advice tomorrow afternoon. And I say, hey, God, God, you know, child, whatever you're, mm -hmm. Billy, Paula, whatever your name is. Hey, remember that advice you gave me last night? I want to do it right now. Ready? Can you please take your shoes off the front door? That'd be really great. And guess what? They take their shoes off. And you've had a re resolution, not because um, you won and you were smarter and you're the person in authority, but because you chose your timing. The process is more important than the topic. Let me ask you about timing uh, on a, a related issue, really, because I think the only bit of advice I ever heard from preachers at any rate was never let the sun go down upon your wrath. And I'm going, so what does that mean? You know, I'm newly married and, you know, if I had a disagreement with Rhonda, never an argument, of course, because she's just way too nice for that. But if we did, 
I kind of feel like the law that I've now heard says, you've got to discuss this. And sometimes that's the worst time in the world, man. You're tired now and now you're going to bring it up. And I must confess, that's a strategy that I reckon is just about as useless as an ashtray on a motorbike, that one. It's just totally like <laughs> hello. Um, because it generally ends up with both of you finding the how, how narrow a slice of the bed can I sleep on? Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, totally. <laughs> so finding the right time is not denying the need to discuss it. Sometimes it's just a wise thing to pick the time where you will address it. Isn't it? Yeah. So a couple of things, and I love that you brought this up. Um, one is that it's not don't let get the sun go down without having resolved the problem. It's not about let's discuss this before the sun goes because we need to come to some kind of resolution. No, it's, it's about me and my emotions. It's about my wrath. It's about my hurt, pain, bitterness, resentment. And so when I let go of that, even though if the issue is not yet resolved, but I extend grace and I extend forgiveness and I'm saying, okay, so I don't yet, we might have to agree to disagree, but I'm not going to hold it against you because you I love. The problem I still have an issue with, and we might have to come back to that at a future time, right. but this is my extension. I love you. I'm committed to you. It's the level of commitment that we have in a marriage. If I'm just talking marriage just for a second, the level of commitment that we have, that pragmatic love comes from the, the term pragma, um, the Greek word for love, one of the Greek words for love. Um, that right there determines future success. And, and, and the second thought is, and you know, just for the married couples, just for a moment, I personally believe sex is like spiritual warfare. If you have an issue and you don't let the sun go down on your wrath, one of the best ways to deal with that wrath is to engage in some kind of physical intimacy. And when you do, the last thing you want to think about is arguing or fighting. It's like all of a sudden we broke through at a physical and spiritual level. Don't believe me. Just try it for yourself. I think this is now going to get a lot more views. Uh (laughs) Listen, one more thing. Uh, I'd love to keep chatting to you. I say this every time we get together, but it's true. Um, Now, I don't know what the Swiss are like, and that's your cultural heritage, but I'm from English, Irish, Scottish. Uh, Our heritage is we don't talk about stuff. We don't address things. We bury it. We go to the man cave. I'm sure English people invented that term. what do you say to help the men here? Because you quoted a statistic before about fathers and sons. Wow. How do you help the men here who go, Dr. Robbie, I don't even know, I don't have the language for conflict. It's not my natural, my default language is disappear. What would you say to someone like that? Uh, go read King's. Go read the story of Elijah who, you know, after pulling off one of the greatest feats of all times, you know, ends up hanging out in the wilderness wanting to have a discussion with God. So he goes to Mount Horeb, otherwise known as Mount Sinai, which is the where, the last place that God revealed himself to man, i.e. Moses giving the Ten Commandments. And you can almost hear the subconscious dialogue, I want to have a conversation with you, God. And God's like, well, all right, you better come out of the cave. 
and so this idea of where he was hiding in the caves, if you want me to reveal myself to you, you better come out to the cave and hold on. And there's wind and there's fire and there's earthquake and God was in none of those things. But then came the soft, small, still voice. Now, most people know that much in the in the story. And I think I've even shared it at Metro in, in years gone by. Um, what did God say? I mean, we know there was the soft, small, still voice, but most people don't actually know what God said. And God asks him a question, says, sorry, so what are you doing here? And he responds by saying, I have been zealous for you, oh my God. In other words, I've been busting a gut out there on the front line, working hard to make a living. Like I've been doing hard work. And yet, Secondly, everyone else has turned against me. They're, they're trying to kill me now. Um, and, and so, like, I'm, I'm a victim. And, and so that right there is, is a recipe for disaster. And if we can learn from that, declaring your own righteousness, I am the good one, everyone else is to blame, and I'm the victim, the three-step pathway to destruction. Um, we need, in order to hear from God on this, we need to come out of the cave. We need to be humble and vulnerable wow. and present ourselves, get on our knees and say, God, speak to me. What is it that you want to have to say? And then be humble enough to receive because what God said to Elijah, he didn't want to hear. He's like, okay, so here's the deal. You're not just a little bit wrong. You are way off, buddy. You are not the only one left. There's 7,000 others that I've reserved for myself. That wasn't seven others. That was 7,000. You are way off. So I am sending you back in the way you came. That's not what we want to do. Go back the way you came. If you just came out of that church and you were hard done by, you just came out of that argument. I, I don't want to go back in there and talk. No, I'm going back in there, but with a renewed wow. mind. Wow. That I might have been out of line. And so that requires humility to come out of the cave. Dr. Robbie, you are not just a great clinical psychologist, but what a great man of God. That was profound. Look, we have to wrap this up. And again, thank you immensely for your wisdom on this and for some of the things that I trust will help everyone that's a part of this service at Metro Church Online. Again, remember everybody, you can go back. Our sessions stay up on YouTube so you can go back and listen to them again. You can fast forward through some of the bits that maybe aren't relevant to the what you want, but you can get in there and hear the message again. I'd love you to do that. But Dr. Robbie, before we finish again, I'd love it if you would pray for all of us our families, we're all a part of a family, whether we're talking about our workplaces in conflict or our homes in conflict or our churches in conflict, wherever we are, ask God for wisdom for us, would you? Be my pleasure. God, I just thank you that um, you are not just the author of relationship, but you're the restorer of relationship. Jesus, that you came to rescue us and you've done it before. You, God, you can do it again. Where there are couples or uh, parents with children or work colleagues where there's conflict in any aspect of any relationship. God, I pray that the principles that we've talked about uh, today, God, that, that we would be able to apply them in our lives practically, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that we would actively be doers of the word. And I pray, God, that as we implement the knowledge and the understanding and therefore the application, that we would have wisdom and, and so even if it's just one or two things that people walk away with that we can implement, I pray, God, that it would be to your glory, that we would then walk away with a testimony of how you have been able to resolve things because of the principles that you have taught us that we have then applied. And so, God, I just thank you. So I pray for rescue and for restoration for, for families or couples who are in, in relationship conflict. And I pray, God, that there would be a light at the end of that tunnel with restoration, recovery, and redemption for all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. Thank you again, Dr. Robbie. Always great to be with you. Thanks for all your help. God bless. Likewise. God bless.